We are 10 games in the Astros season. If you're panicking, you're probably just new to this. The fans and Dusty Baker are on the same page. Well, we'll give you some thoughts on what we saw at Hunter Brown and Chaz McCormick, and we'll look ahead on the schedule. It's episode 18 of Stone Cold Shows, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange. America loves a good middleman, and the man in the middle for us is SportsMap Houston senior content contributor Charlotte Palillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on SportsMap.com. Next to him is SportsMap.com editor and host of ESPN 97.5 and 92.5's Moneyline, Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975. Charlie, Josh, welcome in. Welcome to you, Brandon. Not even one sixteenth of the season has been played yet. So anyone panicking, you very silly person. So guys, let's get right into it. We knew the day would finally come. Maybe. I don't know. We hoped the day would finally come. But Dusty Baker and the fans, I teased it in the, in the open, uh, they're on the same page. Uh, Jeremy Pena was leading off the season. The results were not there. He has dropped him in the lineup, put Chaz McCormick there. Chaz is a big fan favorite right now, especially when it comes to the uh, the battle for center field. Chaz coming out shining, making look dusty, look like a genius in the process, making the fans uh, also very happy. Charlie, what did you see out of the lineup shift and kind of how much do you credit that to, to uh, them being able to put things together to win the final game of the series uh, against the Twins? Well, I predict if McCormick every other game drives in four runs, he's going to work out very well in that leadoff spot. Uh, Jeremy Pena not necessarily on the same page with Dusty Baker, probably feeling, hey, hey, pretty quick uh, of a demotion. I think there's the little picture and then a bit bigger picture on this. Jeremy Pena just does not profile as a leadoff hitter. Uh, He's the fastest guy in the Astros lineup. Uh, There's an axiom you can't steal first. Well, maybe you can grab an infield hit that a slower guy wouldn't hear there. But uh, Pena, that he's not hitting, barely over 200, okay, a slow start. Jeremy Pena doesn't project to hit 207 any more than he projected to hit 345, right? He had an awesome postseason. That was two and a half, three weeks. So that for a week and change, he's not hitting very well at all. A couple of garbage time home runs, basically. That's no biggie. But he's walked twice with 43 official at-bats until he proves – or unless he proves at some point that he's a solid, not great necessarily on base percentage guy because he has power. So he'll bring some slugging if he's a top of the lineup guy, but in the leadoff spot and on base percentage of 289, which was Pena's full season number last year, does not cut it unless you're going to hit 40 home runs and be driving yourself in a whole lot. So uh, Pena going down to the six hole, I'm sure he had it cross his mind and maybe it did Dusty's also. Uh, hey, I, I did quite well in that two-hole immediately ahead of uh, Jordan and, and Bregman. Well, maybe he winds up back there a couple months from now when Altuve's there, or if he gets it going in the six-hole and McCormick levels off, maybe Pena moves up again. Uh, but I like Dusty not just sitting on his hands. Uh, there shouldn't be any really hurt feelings on this. But Jeremy Pena is not a guy in his background or in what he's done in the major leagues to this point that makes you say he should be a leadoff hitter. Uh, not that Chaz McCormick has this extensive track record, but Dusty Baker shaking it up a little bit with a, a lineup that's been erratic. 
And of course, without Altuve, to a lesser extent of importance, without Michael Brantley. So a good job on this one, Dusty. Even if McCormick had gone 0 for 8 in the two games uh, leading off over the weekend. Uh, it's not broken. It's just ailing a little bit. But Dusty thinking, well, if temporarily broken, I'm going to try to fix it. Yeah, I mean, they had to do something, right? I mean, Bregman's been worse than Pena. And you can't have both of those guys at one and two starting off your lineup or you're going to get a lot of these results you're getting. So Pena was the more logical person to to move down. You know, Bregman's earned his spot at least a little bit longer. We'll see how he does. So, yeah, I like the move by Dusty. I think the fans like it. I mean, just last week we were arguing if Chaz should be getting more of the starts over Jake Myers. And now we're talking about Chaz leading off and, and being kind of a, a great spark plug, a, a key contributor to this lineup for, so far this year, at least. Again, a couple of games don't want to overreact to it. McCormick needs to show staying power of competence against right-handed pitching, right? He's brutalized lefties and largely been brutalized by righties. But if he has just a step of growth in his game at 27, he does draw some walks. So McCormick batting 250 is going to have a higher on base percentage than Jeremy Pena batting 250. Chaz had that brief flurry where he swiped three bases in a couple of days. Uh, not that he's going to steal 40 or 50 if he's left in that leadoff spot. Um, but even if it's just a mini wave, surf it while you can. If you told me before the season that 10 games in, Jordan Alvarez would have 14 RBI, uh, that Jose Abreu would have a 10-game hitting streak, Chaz McCormick, 7 RBI, that uh, Mauricio Dubon would have a 5-game hitting streak. If you'd have told me all of those things, I'd have thought, okay, uh, probably their records, maybe they've lost one or two games. You can't account for some of that stuff. But for them to be sit at two games under 500, certainly perplexing. Obviously, the big context is that, you know, no Abreu, uh, no Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley, we got some news uh, over the weekend. Wasn't exactly positive. They've moved back his ETA again. He's now looking at a May return. I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not panicking yet. Uh, and obviously they won a World Series without Michael Brantley. But you have a few less weapons now in the repertoire than you did last year, notably one of them being Justin Verlander, no longer being at the top of your order uh, in your rotation. So you're going to need all the help you can get from your bats. Michael Brantley's a guy who you had counted on being back. Now his ETA keeps getting moved back. Um, I'm not panicking yet, but I'm becoming increasingly concerned. Where are you guys at on this? Well, we, we all nailed our futures bet back in March, saying, yeah, Brantley won't be answering the bell opening day if he's back by May 1st. Well, not sounding like he'll be back by May 1st. It's a little, a little bit like compound interest in reverse. Right? This lineup could absorb the loss of Altuve. It's not going to be as good without Altuve, but shouldn't fall apart. Uh, but then you add the loss of Brantley, the trickle-down effect of the loss of Verlander at the, at the top of the rotation. Again, it's just a 10-game stretch. Right? Alex Bregman stinks so far. Uh, he's mastering the lazy fly ball to right field. He still doesn't have an extra base hit this season. Well, Alex Bregman's no more a 150 hitter than Maurice Dubon is a 304 hitter through 10 games. It's still small sample size, small sample size, small sample size. But in the standings, each game in April does count as much as, as each game in September. So when you drop a series to the Tigers, uh, the Twins, I think, are going to be competent at least. But, I mean, the Astros are playing all American League Central through the, the first four series. And the uh, three series in the American League Central is supposed to be the, the worst division in the American League. So I've come August, September, we're looking back and thinking, oh, boy, they, they need to take, part, take advantage of the, the softer division. Uh, so be it. But the Astros are going to have a four and six stretch somewhere in July, August. And other than it being annoying to experience as a fan or an Astro at the time, no one will think much of it. 
Uh, but four and six, when it's your entire 10-game resume of the season, I guess it uh, raises some antenna up. Uh, Abreu, right, hits in all 10 games, just one extra base hit, though, in 10 games. So his OPS is barely over 700. So for a guy hitting 317, it's been a very lightweight 317 through a week and a half. Uh, water will settle and find its level over 162 games. And that's why the Astros remain the clear favorite in this division. Seattle opened four and six. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, last check, they're not in the American League West. So while the Astros five and a half games behind them already in the race for best record in the league, eh, the Angels and Rangers are five and four. So one good series and the Astros in first place. I mean, Brantley can't return soon enough because it's the strikeouts that are they're really hurting the Astros this year. Uh, Chandler Rome had this one here. The Astros struck out 12 or more times in just 12 games last season. They've already done it four times this year. So they need Michael Brantley to come back, put the ball in play, and sounds like he'll be back in a few weeks. So I can't get here soon enough, like I said. Yeah, the one, one other variable with Brantley, he turns 36 Next month, his slugging percentage has dropped each season he's been with the Astros. So what will Michael Brantley's maximum output be uh, upon his return or once he gets settled in upon his return? But the on-base percentage has been solid, and that's why Dusty's notion, right, has never been below 362 as an Astro. And that's why even if it's in kind of a platoon role against just right-handed pitching, it's a big boost to that lineup in the two-spot. I mean, look, if Dusty's desires play out, the Astros are without their one-two hitters. Uh, no offense is not going to take a hit if you take the leadoff hitter and the two hitter out when they're both good players. I thought what was interesting from the weekend's games, um, as we kind of wrap this portion of the conversation, obviously the standout was Hunter Brown, seven innings, seven strikeouts, two hits. Uh, that brings his season ERA uh, down to uh, 309. Uh, we also had uh, good outings out of, uh, or a good outing out of Jose Arquiti. Uh, Garcia, another, another bumpy outing, unfortunately for him, but it looks like, it looks like there's a, a lot of individual guys kind of getting their, their stuff together and kind of settling in. This is just, we talked about in the open. This is just kind of how the Astros are. It kind of takes a while for them to get all their pieces together. Again, especially when you're missing, you know, one of the most famous, if not your best leadoff hitter of all time on this team. Uh, and you're missing a guy like Michael Brantley. Again, I, I don't know how much we can even count on Michael Brantley coming back as far as like time frame. So we'll have to see. One of the guys that's uh, unfortunately not a holdover of that uh, championship team from 2022 uh, is a young man by the name of Christian Vasquez. And Chandler Rome spoke with Christian Vasquez ahead of the Astros series. He confirmed with Christian that there were no talks uh, with the Astros about a return to Houston. And obviously this is not a big, big surprise because we know that Maldi's contract had already vested. So there was already a commitment to Maldi for an additional year, but Christian Vasquez really seemed to fit into this lineup. Well, outside of Maldi, the, your two options at, catcher are uh, Corey Lee, who didn't make the big league squad because he wanted to get reps. And then you have uh, Yiner Diaz, who is not necessarily a, uh, a lock for the catcher role. He could play a lot. Of, you're just trying to work him in for his bat. Considering the fact that what the contract that Christian Vasquez ended up signing three year, $30 million deal. Am I correct mm -hmm. in that, yep. uh, Charlie? Um, considering that, that seems like a very, very reasonable deal. It kind of checks all the boxes for Jim Crane like that. It's not a big commitment. It's not a big dollar amount on AAV. And the guy's, the guy's just good. You, you know you're going to get a good defensive catcher, 
calls a good game, and you saw firsthand he clicked with his team and, and produced for you. He's a guy who could also be in the DH role. We saw that in the World Series. So even if you wanted to, you know, uh, you know, have him in a, a, a part-time catcher, part-time, but the, you didn't even give him a chance to say no to it. Like you didn't even give him, there was just, okay, well, we appreciate your service and move on. I find that fascinating. Um, and again, I don't want this to sound like it's a hit on Maldi. Love Maldi. think Maldi was a big reason why the Astros were able to get that second ring. But there does seem to be a disconnect. And I'm, I'm being greedy. I know. I'm trying to spend someone else's money. I know. So save your comments. And, and I know Jim Crane's way smarter than me. I, I know all of those things. I'm just a schlup talking about uh, Astros on a podcast. But are you guys su- as surprised as I am, if not baffled, that there wasn't even a conversation, wasn't even just a floating of an idea of, hey, hey, what would you think about coming back? They just moved straight on considering the fact that you don't really have a definitive plan at catcher. Your, you know, your two prospects notwithstanding. All right. My metaphor on this will be like a really good chocolate cake. This one is multi-layered. Uh, and to totally mix metaphors, if it takes two to tango, neither party really wanted to engage on the dance floor with the other. In Vasquez's case, he wanted primary catcher playing time because at this point, maybe not Astro specific in terms of being Yoda established with the pitching staff, he's a better player than Martin Maldonado, and Vasquez wanted his biggest contract. And uh, while he's in his early 30s, uh, probably a last contract of major playing time opportunity, the Astros just weren't going there. Uh, certainly not at the three years, $30 million. Well, maybe a chunk of that money is in the, if we need to add a left-handed bat because Michael Brantley is not going to be the guy, or we just have another spot in our lineup where we're going to need to spend. And the Astros are still $17, $20 million below the the first tax threshold, so they should be in good stead there. Um, But they are perhaps times overly beholden to Maldonado. You look at the numbers with his ERA, his catching ERA versus Vasquez last year. Vasquez caught the no-hitter. I think Vasquez caught another playoff shutout in there. Um, But with Corey Lee and Yiner Diaz, if one of those guys hits – to become your 100-game starting catcher going forward starting 2024. They just didn't want to be locked in uh, with Vasquez. To me, if he had a decent season for you, he'd have been tradable at, say, two years, $20 million. If the same contract would have gotten him back here. But I'm guessing Vasquez would not have taken the Astros offer that he accepted from the Twins because they're clear path to be their primary starting catcher. Yeah, it's really curious, right? Because – we heard all the reports about Wilson Contreras and even Dusty talked about them going after him. Apparently it was Wilson Contreras or bust and they just yeah. weren't interested in anybody else. That That's just really strange to me. But I do look at like yesterday, they've been trying to get Yiner going. He gets you a couple hits and today he's sitting on the bench. So, you know, that just shows you they're going to go back to Maldonado at all costs. So there's just really not a spot here. It, Unfortunately, I'm with you, Brandon. I'd love to see it, but they are clearly not interested. I just don't. I just don't agree with there not being a spot here. And let me tell you why. I don't. I don't agree with the the price tag being a problem. They paid. Uh, they gave Michael Brantley a twelve mil, one year, twelve million dollars without even seeing him swing a bat, and he's still not back yet. And I love Michael Brantley, and I'm glad they signed him. I want to see him return because I think he deserves to be able to get back and win a ring that he's actually playing for in the World Series because 
you know, he's just had that kind of a career. I love Michael Brantley. I want him on this roster. You still have room to, and they're, they're not going to be spending the money on Kyle Tucker. We know that. We, we know they're not signing Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker's not going to sign here because he wants a lot of money. They're not going to pay it. That's It's well documented. But I, I, I just don't get it. They're carrying three catchers on the roster right now. And look, if he says, no, I want to be the full-time catcher, let him tell you that. Like, just float the idea. Let him tell you that. I told you guys before we got started, this was going to trigger me. And it is. this is like, again, it's, and it's not because I think I know more. It's just because I love seeing this team win. And having Christian Vasquez as your catcher gives you a big opportunity to win. You don't know what Yiner Diaz is going to be at the big league level. You don't know what Corey Lee is going to be at the big league level. And if anything, if you want to talk about tradable assets, those are guys where you could just say like, Hey, we got our catcher locked up for three years. You know, here's, here's Corey Lee. We can bundle into a deal to get back a left-handed hitter. The reason why you're in need of a left-handed hitter is because the guy you gave $12 million, he's not in the lineup yet and, and isn't even the earliest he could even get back is in May. So I, again, like maybe I'm overreacting. I probably am because it's just, you know, we're 10 games in and this is all there is to talk about. But I just see that as, man, you had an opportunity for an inexpensive, relative, relatively inexpensive amount to take care of a position. And I don't think there had been anything wrong or disrespectful about telling Maldi, hey, you're going to be the backup catcher. Concur. Uh, but what are you complaining about? At least Maldi's in midseason hitting form. Wait, that's <laughs> that's not a good thing. Um, hey, all that he has accomplished here, and no one should confuse him with Altuve, Bregman, or Yuli. Right? He was here for the one championship. He wasn't here back in 17. Uh, what he offers now, I mean, he's always been a lousy offensive player, so there should be no disappointment or expectation that he's going to find a career second win, really it would be a first win, to be a good offensive player. But his work behind the plate bears ongoing scrutiny. Right, The Saturday game over the Twins, yeah, there was glare or whatever. Was that just for one team? Was that just when the Twins were up? Uh, those were fastballs that he was not crossed up on. You need to at least knock that ball down. And he got bailed out. They were both scored wild pitches. Martin Maldonado led the American League in pass balls last year. He's 36 years old, and even though he lost some weight in the offseason, um, you know, it's not like he's a bantamweight, and he just does not move as well behind the plate as he used to, at least a couple of times already this season. I know Machete and all that. He's tried to throw out base dealers from his knees and hasn't come close. Um, I don't want to necessarily call it lazy yet, but that's something that needs to be nipped in the bud. If you have that big-time arm, you cannot throw the ball as hard from your knees as if you're bouncing up from the squat and pegging it down to second base. I mean, no surprise. Maldi's hitting like 190 right now. That's pretty much what you expect out of him. He's he's doing what he does. So, but look, Vasquez couldn't get any time last year, so I'm not surprised that he's not back this year. Now, Maldonado bats ninth for good reason. Uh, but again, that compound interest thing. You don't expect your nine hitter to be a stud, but if he's going to be 190 OPS of 600 or less, it's a little bit more of a problem when you're without Altuve, when you're without Brantley. When Bregman's in an early season funk, uh, Pena's not picking up where he left off in the offseason. So, yes, small sample size, but doesn't change the reality that 10 games into the season, which means in season-long terms, we're basically in the bottom of the first inning. But, you know, they haven't come out to a 3 nothing lead. Well, on deck, uh, let me call down here. Uh, Astros on deck. They head to uh, Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates for a three-game set. 
uh, the Pirates of the six and three uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Surprising uh, sample size again. Yeah, sample size for sure. The big, the big unfortunate news out of out of the weekend was uh, O'Neill Cruz uh, injuring himself severely. Uh, he'll miss uh, four months with a uh, fractured left ankle. So that puts a little bit of a damper when you're. I mean, obviously, the appeal of going to face off against the Pirates—they're—they're they're not going to be a contender. You would, you would think, but the appeal of watching that series would be to see a guy like O'Neill Cruz and you know, the younger guys uh, who will be on better teams later on in their career when they decide to ditch Pittsburgh uh, or get uh, traded away, as the case may be. Charlie, how do you see this play? Look, we we talked about this part of the schedule being uh, a place where the Astros could get well, but they didn't necessarily get well against Detroit or Minnesota. Uh, should they have any more optimism heading into Pittsburgh? Yeah. Going with the water finds its level stuff and into the third turn through their starting rotation, Fromber solid both times out Javier better the second time out or Keedy better the second time out and the pirates are six and three. So they're due for a little regression. You never know. In one three game sample in, in mid April, uh, I just want to follow up quickly on O'Neill Cruz. Now, those taking us in, if you're a fantasy baseball player or just hardcore and, and you've seen him, you're aware. This is just a bummer for the sport. Uh, a sport I'll throw in the element. Uh, young African-American stars, something that Major League Baseball is, is starved for. Uh, Cruz, fascinating. Uh, six foot seven inch shortstop who hits balls harder than Jordan Alvarez, hits balls, maximum exit velocity, throws balls faster than Justin Verlander throws balls. Different dynamic, pegging it from short from the mound, uh, but uh, a very unique physical specimen. Probably no 13-year contracts in his future. This is actually similar to the injury that Correa sustained that scotched his long-term deals in the offseason, the, the fractured fibula, and then concern about stability in that ankle long-term. Cruz is 24 years old, so you hope for his sake, much less the Pirates, that, that he works out to be all right. Uh, the one other Pirate, uh, if you want to have uh, visions, if you're an Astros fan, their center fielder, Brian Reynolds, is a heck of a player. Right? It's a name we, among other places, I'm sure, mentioned during the course of the, the offseason. Uh, he's not yet agreed to a long-term extension with the Pirates. They're back and forth about opt-out terms. The Pirates don't want to give him one. Uh, it's not going to be at the Kyle Tucker level, eight years, like $106 million is what's been mentioned. Um, I know that's longer than the Astros typically desire, but eight years, 106 as opposed to eight years, 206 Real good player. Switch hitting center fielder would be an ideal companion to McCormick in a platoon role in center field. Could also then spot days for Alvarez, moving McCormick to left. Uh, the occasional day off for Tucker and right. Or if you were to acquire and sign Reynolds and long-term, Kyle Tucker's not going to be uh, a guy here. Uh, but Reynolds is a very good player, off to a fantastic start. I'm sure there are plenty of contenders thinking Brian Reynolds would look good for us. Uh, but maybe he's one for the Astros to keep tabs on if he does not close on that extension with the Pirates. I'll be keeping my eye on Fromber today. I think Hunter Brown came in. He was that stopper for you. When you needed a win, he came in, gave you seven innings, pitched really well, got you that win. Fromber, 1.5 ERA. He's looking terrific to start off the season, so hopefully they can get some momentum going here. The last two seasons, Astros 6-4 and four out of the gate in their first 10, 4-6 and six right now. Hopefully Fromber can kind of get them back to what they're accustomed to. Astros facing a 23-year-old starter, in the first game of the series, the finale Wednesday, 
Ah, the Pirates youth movement. They bring back Andrew McCutcheon to play some in the outfield. 43-year-old Rich Hill. He's still alive and pitching. He'll go for the Pirates. Obviously, they hope he just eats up a few innings, looks okay, and they can get a prospect for him from a contender come come July. Uh, Again, the chalk is, of course, the Astros should win two out of three. But, of course, we said the same thing ahead of the Tiger series a week and a half ago. We've mentioned about the Astros possibly looking to make a move for a bat. Uh, but we've also seen super narrow sample size. But Luis Garcia, uh, you know, again, just had some unfortunate outings. Again, too early to say that this is indicative of his season. But let's say he keeps up on this trajectory. Does that automatically move a bat uh, below in priority as far as like targets? Uh, I just want to back you up. It's, it's not doomsday planning, right? If you're Dana Brown, anyone else in the Astros hierarchy, you're always doing short-term, mid-term, long-term, what-if planning. Um, you know, heaven forbid it turns out, yeah, there's something wrong with Garcia and he needs to be shut down for a while or a guy just has a bad year. Uh, place your bets on the over-under on the calendar, but Lance McCullers is the guy that they're thinking of will be their starting pitching acquisition. But again, the loss of Verlander is where it starts. The depth is is not real strong, right? They do not have what you consider a, a notable starting pitching prospect at, at AAA or AA as a guy to join the team this season, which increases the importance of Hunter Brown settling in and not pitching like Verlander light, but just being a solid back end of the, the rotation starter. Um, just as they'll view, hey, get us to June, you get Altuve back and uh, Wither Brantley, and then you can assess if you need something to, to fortify the, the bottom of your lineup. Uh, but I'll, I'll re-mention that they are still $15 million plus to the good under the kind of self-imposed uh, team salary cap, that first threshold of luxury tax. Uh, Jim Crane has said for the right player, they'll go over it. Of course, it could be a sliding definition of what, who the right player is. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Garcia right now. I think we all had the assumption he might get off to a slow start because he had to change his mechanics, but he looked so good in spring training. We figured, oh, it's not going to be a problem, but he has scuffled a little bit. But every starter besides him has an ERA under four on the team. So if Garcia is your fifth starter, I think he'll get it together. And you mentioned McCullers. He he should come back, hopefully, at, at some point here. We did get reports he's throwing not on the mound, but he's throwing, I believe, from 90 feet and starting to ramp it up. So I'm just a, a little concerned. Like, we don't have a an ETA on when we can expect him throwing off the mound. And we're already even hearing Verlander expects to be back, you know, for the Mets by the end of the month. And we don't have any kind of timetable like that for Lance. So I'm a little worried about that. Well, yeah, and just a quick follow on, on Garcia. He hung a breaking ball and he got killed. So, I mean, he threw a bad pitch. Of course, it's a humongous if. If he doesn't throw that pitch, he's given up one run. He had a quality outing. Well, if your aunt had different equipment, she'd be your uncle or aunt if you prefer. Well, McCullers. Uh, so two starts, not two months. Yeah. M- but, Josh, to your point, McCullers says he's ahead of schedule, but there's no ETA for his return. How do you, how are you ahead of schedule when there's no ETA for your return? So, that's where I would have a concern with McCullers. And, and I think also, too, you know, if you're putting your stock in McCullers to come back and to be healthy at the end of the season and be able to count on him, I mean, like right now I've got some guitar center stock to sell you as well. I just don't see how that's something you can like confidently hang your hat on. Cause I saw, again, I featured one of the comments here. Someone said like, Oh, well, if Garcia doesn't work out, you could sub out McCullers. You hope I'd love to see the end of the year. Everybody is, you know, healthy, obviously Altuve, 
Brantley, McCullers, everybody's healthy and performing at a high level. That's just not always how it works out in sports, especially with a couple of those guys. Brantley and McCullers, unfortunately, the sample size is in for those guys. They're injury guys. And so you just have to hope. Uh, and that's what you can. That's the only thing you can count on is just hope at this point. And um, Dana Brown said as much. He's not going to push them. All these yeah. guys, they're going to take their time. He doesn't want McCullers to come back and then re-injure himself, and then you got to worry about it again. Same thing with Brantley. Doesn't want him to come back too soon and then have to go back on the IL. So I think he's going to slow play all these guys, Altuve included. Even though they didn't put them on the sixty-day IL, I wouldn't expect them to push their return. Uh, Death Sauce and Warren also uh, concur with the Guitar Center stock reference. Uh, if you know, you know. So, guys, uh, if you're watching us live and haven't commented yet, now is your chance. It's the bottom line question of the week. I'll pose a question to Charlie and Josh, but everyone gets to answer. Uh, just keep in mind, there is a delay on the feed. So when we get the answers on our ends a little bit uh, after you've sent it, so be sure to get your answers in early. So if you haven't, had a chance to get in. Now's the time to get in. So guys, we let off the show talking about Houston's baby Verlander, Hunter Brown, our old pal and reigning AL Cy Young winner and noted not baby. Justin Verlander is on course to return from injury this month. Uh, This week's bottom line question is with Hunter Brown getting his first win of the season. He's, he's got a little leg up who will end the season with more wins now, Hunter Brown or Justin Verlander. I will I go, go Verlander and go ahead, for Mets sake. And my goodness, Steve Cohen needs a break financially, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, if it's not this year, Verlander, it's probably not going to be Verlander next year or the, the year after. Um, hey, maybe Hunter Brown is a meteor about to soar through the sky and win 16 games. And Justin Verlander breaks down a couple more times. But uh, this early in the season, I'll still bet on the Hall of Famer. Yeah, I'm going to go with Verlander, too. But for some other reasons, we're seeing, you know, the Astros, you know, scuffling a little bit to score runs. That's part of winning games. We've seen the bullpen give up some big hits lately as well. That's part of getting those dubs. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Verlander here, but I sure hope it's Hunter Brown. I'm going to go with Hunter Brown, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm a fan of the Astros. I don't really care what the odds are. I'm going to go with Hunter Brown. To win this thing, you got to get a AW. He's got the first one. I'll go with a guy who's the leader of the pack. It's definitely not how you started. It's how you end it for sure. Just ask the guys in the Bronx. But I'll go with I'll go with Hunter Brown. Now let's read. Jack, you keep starting them as they come in, and I'll bring them up. Astrowarf Craig says Brown. He's going to go with me. Hell yeah. David Wagner says Verlander just too consistent. I can't argue with that, man. JV is the man. Chris Wal- Walton's going to say Brown as the Astros fan. JV for the logical question. Yeah, see, Chris, you and me on the same page here. Gregory Guru says Hunter Brown's wins will cost less than Verlander's starts. Eh, that's true, but uh, it's not really with the question. Uh, Warren Jones, Hunter was pissed after his first game. I'll go with Hunter. Okay. Pete says, let's go, Hunter. Let's see. Sagittarius Imperial. Wow, that is that is a polysyllabic name you got there. Sagittarius Emperor, Hunter Brown, but with Dusty making his dumb lineups, it will be harder for him to get wins. Harley David 33 says Brown because Diaz will be catching instead of Maldi. Ooh, I'm glad you said that and not me because that may not be incorrect. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. 
So guys, that wraps it up for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. I want to thank everybody who was in the chat interacting with the show and who interacted with our bottom line question of the week. And even before that, um, I want to thank Charlie and Josh for talking some Astros with me. We will be back this time next week, Monday, 3 p.m. for another live edition of Stone Cold Strohs on YouTube or as Josh mentioned earlier, anytime on demand at your favorite audio podcast provider. So guys, thank you so much. And until next time, go Strohs.